Judges 16 through 3, New King James Version. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him and afflict him and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. What they asked Delilah was, we need you to find out the secret of the anointing. That's what I want to speak to you about today. The secret of the anointing. And you may be seated. There are a few messages that I have preached repetitively through the years. And this is a message that I preached before several years ago and have fully revised and prayed through and feel the direction of the Lord to talk about this today. Samson was a judge in the nation of Israel before the time of the kings. He judged Israel for 20 years. He was a Nazarite who had this vow on his life from birth. Samson was endued with supernatural power. God would come on him and there would be incredible feats of strength. Samson also had some gaping holes in his life, some serious blind spots that affected him negatively. The anointing of God is that supernatural power of God that comes on a person to do God's work. This is what came on Samson's life. By that power, he would defend the people of God he would defeat the arch enemies of the Lord, the Philistines in that day. And it won him great notoriety among the people. He was revered by his allies. He was feared by his enemies. And the Bible says in Judges chapter 13 that when he was a young man, that the spirit of the Lord began to move on him at times. While he was still among his people in the camp of Dan, his tribe, and from out of nowhere, Samson would feel the Spirit of God coming on him. I don't know what happened when he first felt it. You know, it's not in the Bible, so I don't know if he picked up a rock and threw it over a mountain and like, what was that and where did that come from? But however God did it, Samson began to realize that God was moving on him. The beginnings of a powerful, anointed ministry, if I could say it that way, to Israel. And then, Samson and his mom and dad, he was kind of a spoiled kid. He would ask his parents and they would do what he said. But Samson and his parents went down to a place called Timnath. Evidently, he was away from his mom and dad. 
And the Bible says that a young lion came against Samson and roared against him. Samson felt that same anointing come on him in a very powerful way that kind of showed itself by supernatural human strength. With his bare hands, Samson took that young lion and pulled him apart just as if he had been a young lamb that had recently been born. And the Bible said Samson had nothing in his hand. He barehandedly killed a lion. Wow, powerful Samson. And then he went to Ashkelon, another city, and he killed 30 Philistines. And then after that, he smote some more Philistines. The Bible said he smote them hip and thigh. Now, I wanted to know what hip and thigh means. It's kind of a proverbial way of saying that with the cruel and unsparing slaughter that Samson just beat the daylights out of them and the Philistines were defeated. Now, they weren't too happy about that. So they sent to the men of Judah and came down and encamped against them and Judah, the tribe of Judah, was afraid. So they came to Samson and said, Look, the Philistines are come down, and we need to assure uh, you need you need to assure us that you're not going to do anything dangerous right now. So Samson said, Okay, tie me up, but just don't kill me yourselves. So these men get Samson, three thousand of them, and they carry Samson up to where the Philistines are, and the Philistines get ready to take Samson. And Samson, through this same supernatural anointing, rips the ropes off his hands. He looks down and he sees the jawbone of a donkey, a recently killed donkey. He picks up that jawbone and he starts wading through all of these Philistines. And he kills a thousand enemy men with the jawbone of a donkey. And that's all he had. Pretty powerful guy. The next occasion... Samson is down at a place called Gaza, and he gets angry at midnight. He gets up. He goes down, and he takes the gates of the city, and he kind of rips him off their hinges, the gates, the bars, the right out of the walls. He puts the gates on his back. He marches up a hill that faces toward Hebron, and he just kind of puts them there because everybody knows there's no way those gates could get from here to there. No one could ever do that but Samson. He's a pretty powerful guy. And after this happened, the Philistines said, you know what, we've got to figure out where his strength lies. There's something about Samson that we can't conquer. No matter what we do, Samson always prevails. So let's see if we can figure out what is the secret source of his strength. Now, when I was a little boy growing up in church, every time somebody told the story of Samson, I would always see this huge hook of a man that had massive biceps and his legs were like tree trunks and he had a huge thick neck and he was powerful. You could just see it all over him like, like a lot of you men I'm looking at right now. Forgive me, Jesus. <clears throat> Don't lie in church from the pulpit. <clears throat> I mean, I always saw Samson like some of you, you know, guys. But if Samson would have looked like that, then I think they would have said, oh, there's no secret to his strength. This guy works out every day. 
they would have probably checked him for steroids. You know, what is going on with Samson that he is this strong? So I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think that Samson, I'm sure most men in that day who worked outside and they were physically strong, but, but nothing about Samson would have hinted at his supernatural strength being his physical build. They think it's something else. They think, some commentators say, people who write about the Bible and speculate on what was going on, that the Philistines thought maybe he had some amulet or a charm on him and he was carrying it around and if that was the secret of his strength, if they could find that out, then they could steal it and render him powerless and they could kill their bitter enemy, Samson. But to find that out, they've got to get inside his head. They realize that Samson has a devastating weakness in his life. Samson loves wicked women. He is attracted to that kind of a girl. And I think they smiled a snarly, sneery kind of smile when they realize that since Samson is attracted to trashy women, and he's just recently fallen in love with this woman named Delilah, maybe we can cut a deal with her. I know why you're smiling. It's okay. You shouldn't listen to that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so they go to Delilah, and they say, Look, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. And every one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, from earlier accounts, we know there were probably at least five lords of the Philistines. So 5,500 shekels of silver, 1,100 shekels, would have weighed about 28 pounds. It would have been worth about $7,366, according to the price of silver yesterday. And times five would have been $36,830, which is a lot of money just to kind of turn on Sammy. But I also read this, and I had never read this before, that 5,500 shekels would have been something like 550 times the average wage of a person in that day. So let's think in terms of what it was worth then. If the average person in America, median income, is like 44000 I went with 40000 they would have been offering Delilah $22 million to get Samson to talk. What is your anointing worth? <clears throat> so, she's pretty happy about this. Make a fortune, turn on Samson. Samson was such a big catch. This anointed guy, you better believe that anybody who has the anointing of God resting on their life has a giant target on them from the devil who would love to do whatever he could to get inside your head and take from you what God has gifted you with. So Samson and Delilah in this relationship, if you looked on Facebook, they're in a relationship. They're an item. So Delilah asked Samson, her boyfriend, what would it take 
to tie you up securely. And Samson, duh, says, you know, if I were tied with seven new bowstrings that had never been dried out, I would become as weak as any other man. So Delilah, maybe while Samson is sleeping, she ties Samson up with these seven new bowstrings, and she has some men hidden in her house. And she says, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And of course, Samson gets up. He snaps the bowstrings like they were just burning a fire. And he gets up, and he whoops up on those Philistines. And that's the end of it. The strength of his, the power of his strength, or the secret of his strength is not discovered. And then Delilah comes back again. She says, you know, Samson, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. This is in your Bible. Tell me how you can be tied up securely. Hopefully I would make a terrible woman. <clears throat> Samson says, if I was tied up, with brand new ropes that have never been used, I would become weak as any other man, as anybody else. Duh. So Delilah gets some new ropes and ties Samson up, and she has men hiding in the house, and she says, Samson, the Philistines are coming upon you. And, of course, Samson snaps the ropes, just like they were little threads, and Samson whoops up on them, and... Uh, you would think, after this much, that Samson would begin to see a pattern developing here. But lust will blind you to a lot. I mean, I know that love, they say love is blind, but lust is totally blind. Lust shuts down the rational mind and it opens up the sensual, emotional mind. And you only think about it after it's all done. Then you go, what was that about? Because you were a victim of lust. Nothing can bind you when you are bound to God as Samson was. So then Delilah comes back. Sammy, baby. You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me, how can you be tied up securely? Don't you know she just loves this man? And I want to go like, I, I, literally, I want to just scream at my Bible, you know, like, no, don't do it. <clears throat> what is wrong with you? Samson says, you know, if you took the seven locks of my hair, seven braids, and if you were to weave them into your loom and tighten it with the, the, the loom shuttle, then I would become as weak as anybody else. Samson falls asleep. Delilah weaves his hair with the fabric in the loom, fastens it with the loom shuttle, and she cries out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. He wakes, wakes up, pulls back the shuttle loom, pulls his hair out of the fabric, and he beats up Philistines again. So then Delilah resorts to another, pardon me, feminine tactic. The Bible says that Delilah pouted. She sticks out her lip. Samson's, Samson's in a relationship with her for a reason. We won't go there today. She pouts. How can you tell me you love me? 
when you don't share your secrets with me. <laughs> and Samson's there like most egotistical men. Man, I am so hot, she cannot resist me. But really, it's ego, not irresistibility that's working here. So Samson, you know, he is being worn down. And the Philistines are not just plotting against Samson. They're plotting against an entire nation. Delilah says, Samson, you have made fun of me these three times. And you've not told me why you're so strong. And the Bible says in verse 16 of this chapter that she tormented him with her, another good word to men to file away, with her nagging. Men can nag too, by the way. But Delilah, she pouted, and now she's nagging him. When the approach doesn't work, we will try another. So she begins to nag him day after day after day. Some of you are smiling very discreetly right now. After day after day, she doesn't let up. She's like a little kid that wants a certain toy for Christmas and will not let up. And Delilah just keeps working on him. And the Bible says, wearing him down until he was sick to death of it. You know, Satan is a patient predator. Samson says, okay. Here it is, Delilah. This is the secret of my anointing. Never in my life has a razor come to my head. I'm a Nazarite from birth. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me. And I will become weak and be like any other man. Now, Samson's of Nazarite. And as a Nazarite, it means to be separated. Separated to God. Consecrated. And as a Nazarite, he would never drink strong drink. No alcoholic beverages. And as a Nazarite, they wouldn't even eat grapes or raisins. Or anything that would even get them in the neighborhood of something that was alcoholic. They would not touch a dead body. And in Nazarite, which normally for this man to have long hair would be a shame, but it showed that he was separated to God. He was an oddity in his day. Samson's hair, just like Samuel and John the Baptist, the three lifelong Nazarites in the Bible, his hair had never been touched with the razor. When Samson said it, Delilah knew that he had told her all his heart. So she told the Philistine lords, Bring the money. He's told me everything this time. So Samson, once again, falls asleep. Delilah, his head, by the way, the Bible says, is in her lap. She calls in a man. And with shears, he, he begins to cut all the seven locks of Samson's hair. And when... This truth is told and the hair is gone. The Bible said in this way, she began to bring him down and his strength left him. And when he was shaven and asleep, Delilah said, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And, and Samson woke up and he thought, he thought, I will do 
I will shake myself and I, and I will do what I've done all these other times. But the Bible says that Samson did not realize that the Lord had left him. The Philistines captured him. They gouged out his eyes. They bound him with brass chains. They took him to the prison house and they put him down there like an animal to grind meal. I have watched in my life as people have succumbed to the temptation of the devil when he bound them and blinded them and reduced their life to a daily grind of repetitious failure. Don't you know that Satan would love to rob you of your precious relationship and of the anointing of the Holy Ghost that God has given you? With all of Samson's failures, it was this covenant of separation that had given him his great power. The secret of spiritual strength is this covenant with God that you have separated yourself from the world and you have separated yourself to the Lord. I get angry when I hear people say, well, so-and-so believes the doctrine but not holiness because it is a package deal. And the same Bible that teaches you how to be saved teaches you how to stay saved. The same Bible that brought you out of darkness brought you into marvelous light. When Jesus gave you His Spirit, it was a Holy Spirit. Amen. We understand it's not by might or by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. We know that the weapons of our warfare are not talent and ability. They are not carnal, but they are mighty to God. Now you would think that the Philistines would have known about a Nazarite vow and that power. But evidently they couldn't grasp where that secret of strength lie. And there are people who come into an atmosphere of the presence and power of God. And they look around this church or a power-filled church, an apostolic church, and they say, I don't get it. Why is it different here? Why do I feel something here that I don't feel there? Why could my dad walk into a Pentecostal church for his first time and say, these people have something that I don't have and I want it? He was raised in a traditional church, but he found the power of God, and he said, there's something about this that I want. Amen. They don't understand that this is not just because of our culture or our customs. It is a separation from the world and an attachment to God and a commitment to the Lord. Now, I don't think that we're any more special than anyone else in who we are or in our strength or intellect or ability. But there's something that we have discovered when you separate yourself from the world and you separate yourself from God that God endues you with power from on high. He anoints you with strength that you cannot generate in yourself. Amen. So let me just tell you, we are distinct in our view of God. There is one God who is Father of all. He is above all and through all and in you all. We understand that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily. We believe here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And because we know that Almighty God became flesh and His name is Jesus, we repent and we are baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. 
in the Old Testament. It was the water of the Red Sea that separated Israel from their past and their future. And it is the water of baptism when you are buried with him that died for you in the name of Jesus Christ that draws a line of demarcation from your past and your future. Amen. We believe in the essentiality of being baptized in water by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. Separate in our view of God, separate in water baptism. Amen. It is not just an outward sign of an inward grace, but it is for the remission of sins. We recognize the power of baptism. We recognize the power of being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. There are many people in our culture who believe they have the Spirit, but they've never had the Spirit give them the sign that He gave on the day of Pentecost and consistently ever since then. That sign of speaking in a language you never learned as the Spirit gave, gives you the ability to speak or in the King James, the utterance. We believe that the Holy Ghost is not just available, that it is essential. That when you receive it, you will speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave you the utterance. It is a doctrine of separation from the world into God by the Holy Ghost. We also believe that the same Spirit that brings you out of darkness brings you into marvelous light. Not only are we saved by the Spirit, but we are taught in the Word of God how to stay saved, how to continue the relationship that was started in the Spirit. Amen? We are Spirit-filled people, and we should be Spirit-led people, and we should be people that have come out from among them to be separate, saith the Lord. The Bible says that if we will, that God will be our Father, and we will be His sons and daughters. That is that line of separation. In our culture, there are a lot of people that say, you know, come to God as you are. We believe that. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is. You can come to Jesus Christ full of sin. It doesn't matter what your background is. But when you come to Him, while you can come to Him any way you are, you cannot stay that way. Once you come to Him, He will change you by His Spirit and by the work of the Word of God in your life. You've got to come to Jesus and let the Holy Ghost change you. Amen. Samson, Samson understood the power of this anointing and he did not know when it left him. We understand by the power of the word of God that when we know the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are baptized with him, when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, when we embark upon a separated life that God's anointing and blessing rests on our life, I want to assure you that we know that we have no righteousness in ourselves without the Holy Ghost, but he saved us unto good works. So if you've been around the last three Wednesdays, or if you'll go listen online, you'll hear me talk about this more because we understand that it is the anointing of God that destroys the yokes in our lives. And we must be a people that attract the favor of God. And we must never lose that vow of separation. We must never sever what has committed us to God or we will become weak as any other church. In the history of our church, we saw God do something miraculous and amazing that we've never gotten over. Back in 2008, 
we entered a choir competition, how sweet the sound. And in that choir competition that was held at Phillips Arena with seven other choirs, we, we won in our region. There are about 5,000 people in attendance, best large choir, best overall choir, people's choice. We were invited to sing at the Catalyst Conference, the conference for young religious leaders of about 8,000 people. We went to the finale here in Atlanta, about 10,000 people in attendance. We won the people's choice, and as a result of that, we were invited to sing many places like the Habitat for Humanity National Conference and a Dave Ramsey event for business leaders. And it opened doors for our church choir to minister in a number of places. In 2009, we entered that competition again, the regional competition here in Atlanta. And it's kind of interesting that initially they told us you didn't make it. You didn't make the cut. And then they called and talked to Brother Brandon and say, well, you know, you're going to get to participate because we had a cancellation from another choir. There, God has a lot of ways of keeping you humble, you know, <clears throat> and realizing that if he doesn't do it, it won't happen and that you're not, you know, you're not Samson. We just think you're tough and all that. <clears throat> Regional competition, October 2nd, 2009. 10,800 people, eight choirs. The judges were Kirk Carr, Marvin Sapp, James Fortune. We won the People's Choice, Best Regional Choir. But the most amazing thing that happened, every time our choir sang, and I've said this before, but I'm the pastor here, 21 years plus now, and I, you know, they don't let me sing in the choir, but they let me watch. <clears throat> now I'm watching our choir, and, and it was almost like somewhere up in heaven, God's got this switch, and he leans over to an angel and says, flip that switch now. That Atlanta West Pentecostal church is going to sing in. And it was like so dramatic from all these other choirs of good people and many people that love Jesus Christ. And you just have to have been there to know that I'm not making this up, nor am I exaggerating in any way, because I was kind of surprised too. Because I know all these people, you know, they're in our church. They're good and godly, but not that, not that godly. I mean, something just happened. I won't get over on this side of the church right now. Marvin Sapp, one of the judges, said, you know, you cannot mess with an apostolic Pentecostal church. He said, I'm just going to call it. I can talk about the blend and I can talk about that. He said, but you know what my brother next to me, the other judge, said, it is the anointing. That's what I'm preaching about today. That it, it blend is good and excellent is important and doing the very best you can with what you have is important. But if God does not in, anoint you, it is nothing more than emotion, human energy. But when God shows up, something supernatural happens. That's what I'm talking about today. And he said, if y'all don't remember nothing, remember this. It is the anointing that destroys the yokes. He said, one of these Sundays, I need to come to your church and let some yokes be destroyed off my life. That's what that gospel singer and preacher said. We had a concert after that. We took 10,000 invitations to that concert. And Sunday, December 10th, you know, it was an amazing thing. October 10th, rather, I think. 
I've got my dates different on that one spot. 359 first-time visitors. We had 928 people in the sanctuary in the morning service, and we don't even seat 700 here. People were jammed in here and in chairs, and about 120 people in our youth center. The road to our church was blocked because of flooding. Skyview Drive, the bridge, people were having to divert, come around the interstate. And as they were getting off the interstate, the deputies were there saying, are you going to Atlanta West? And they would say, yes. And they say, you don't, you got to come back this afternoon. They're full. And they turned around and many of them came back in the afternoon. We had 870 people here in the afternoon. 1,629 people came to church here that day. A lot of people came because of what they felt, not just what they saw or heard, because of what they felt at Phillips Arena. They said, I got to go find out what is the secret of that anointing. That day, 11 people filled with the Holy Ghost that we know of. 16 people baptized in Jesus' name. It was incredible. And then came the finality in 2009. They flew our entire choir to Detroit, Michigan with all the other choirs. November 7, 2009. Joe Louis Arena. I have a tennis right close to 16,000 people. The judges, Marvin Sapp, Dorinda Clark, Cole, Byron Cage. Our choir, when it was all said and done, won the People's Choice Award, $5,000. Best Church Choir in America, $25,000. During the move of the Holy Ghost that followed our singing, there was another choir after us. But people began to receive the Holy Ghost in that arena. People were slain in the Spirit. They called the paramedics because there was a lady laying out in the concourse, slain in the Holy Ghost. And some of our apostolic people from Detroit said, no, she's okay. She'll be all right. She's not sick. You know, they are not drunk as you suppose. How sweet the sound simulcast back to our church here. Over 700 people were in our family life center feeling here what we were feeling, feeling there. As a result of that day, we were invited to sing on Good Day Atlanta, here in Atlanta. Our, how sweet the sound flew our church choir to New York City. They paid all their expenses. And on December 23rd, we were on Good Morning America. 6.8 million viewers watched that day. On December 24th, our choir sang on Fox and Friends the same song that they sang in the competition. January 15th, how sweet the sound took us to Opera Land and we sang at the banquet of the Stellar Awards and then at the Stellar Awards and then in 2011, the Dove Awards and a live album and the CDs available at Resources. It was an amazing, amazing thing. A little commercial right there, subliminal sneak it in it was an amazing thing and I hope that you feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost right now you know they say that a picture is worth a thousand words so I would think a video might be worth like a million words so when you feel the presence of the Lord today I want you to respond and if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I want you to receive the Holy Ghost today. 
If you need healing or a miracle in your body, I encourage you to receive it today. And then we're going to gather and celebrate the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Because I want to tell you, there's a lot of us around here that say, we don't care what you offer us, we will not sell what God has given us for anything in the world. You can take anything, but don't take my relationship with God. Don't steal my anointing. Why don't you go to Detroit with us right now? This is what I want you to see right now. This is what I want you to feel right now. Yeah, this car is done. We're ready to move on, but we can't. When you send the praise up, blessings come down. Somebody needs to step on the enemy's head and just. I feel you. Praise him, Detroit. Praise him. Praise him. I feel that tonight. Woo! That's right. Let the enemy know who's in charge. Let him know who's got the victory. I know that media says that y'all going through in Detroit, but y'all ain't going through. Y'all got a praise in Detroit. The praise release. The Atlanta West Pentecostal Choir. And I feel sorry for the poor choir right up there getting ready to sing. Oh, man, let's, let's see what the judges got to say. I'm telling you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Byron. Oh. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How do you judge the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Hey. 
y'all might as well get ready for Sunday morning. You might as well let. I feel a release in the house tonight. Just tell somebody I've been released. I'm released. We gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. Dorinda. Told y'all it was gonna be a revival up in here. My God. Oh my Jesus, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to say you did an awesome job tonight. Awesome job. Let me tell you something. Oh my God. I can't. It's something about the Holy Ghost. I can't even explain it. All I want to do is just tell you. Just keep the anointing. That's all you see. Just keep the anointing. Just, just keep the anointing. Everything else will fall in line. Just keep the anointing. Marvin. I don't care what y'all say. Just give me some good old hand clapping, foot stomping, tongue talking, anointed, Holy Ghost filled. Ain't worrying about who shouting, who dancing, who trying to get with us or not. Because they didn't come here to entertain nobody. They showed up so that yokes would be destroyed under the Amos here too. Y'all gotta get us get out of get out. Oh, why don't you praise the Lord right now? Would you stand and would you praise him? And would you say, Lord, just keep the anointing. Just keep the anointing. God, I've got to keep the anointing of the Holy Ghost. If you need the Holy Ghost, come. If you need healing, come. If you need a renewing in the Spirit, come. If you need to be restored to relationship, come. I want you to come. Open your heart to God. It is not about a competition, but it is about proclaiming to the world that God is mighty and powerful and there's an anointing that comes on the people of God. That's it. Come close. Come celebrating. Come breaking free. <laughs>